All right, if you have your Bibles, we're back in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. So I'll let everyone get a chance to turn there. And as you're flipping and looking at 2 Peter, I'm sure you're all trying to remember what 2 Peter was about. It's only been uh, a month, right? A little bit less than a month since we've been in 2 Peter. Um, so uh, just, a, just a quick recap as you're, as you're flipping there uh, for 2 Peter. Uh, Peter started off in 2 Peter at the beginning, sort of telling us, just as I'm looking through here, uh, what God has done for us in salvation. Remember, that was the first part. He used that language of gifts. He has gifted us all these things, trying to show us that our salvation is all about what he's done for us, not about us. These are all gifts. These are all grace. Uh, God has given us what we didn't deserve, what we didn't even ask for, just by his kindness has changed us. Uh, given us everything that we need for life and godliness, all of that. Uh, so, Peter says, as with many other New Testament letters like we looked at when we were going through it, that if God has done this for us, then we should live lives that reflect God's amazing grace. We should, the, there should be qualities of our lives if, if he has done this, if he has done these things in us, if he's been this gracious to us, then our lives should reflect it. And Peter said he plans on reminding them of this every day, or every day until the day he dies, which he tells them is actually pretty soon. So Peter says, look, I'm going to remind you of this till the day I die, and that day is coming. Why is he reminding them of this. Why is he reminding them of these things? Uh, well, as you saw in the end of 2 Peter, down into verse, uh, so that was in verse 12 where he tells them that, and then he, he starts to go down into verse 16 and on. Why is he reminding them of these things? Because what they're teaching them, what Peter's been teaching them, what Paul has been telling them, what they've been reading in the scriptures is not their own thoughts. It is not what they came up with. And, and that's going to be important, remember, in chapter 2. This is not their own stuff. And so, he says, we would do well to pay attention to God and to his word until Christ returns. Until that blessed day, while we're watching and waiting, we watch and wait not just the clouds, we watch and wait in the word. Uh, and so, we fix our eyes on this word, paying attention to it, this word that is ultimately God's word. And that's what led us to chapter 2. So, look, this isn't from us. This is from the Lord. You should pay attention to it. This is, you know, the Holy Spirit moving these men to say these things. Now you get into chapter 2, and apparently what is happening is churches are dealing with false teachers. So teachers, instead of giving them what is from the Lord, and teachers, instead of telling them what the Bible says, these teachers are coming from inside the church, shockingly, bringing division based on their word, not God's word, and they're rejecting the lordship of Christ, destroying themselves and, and the church with it. They are leading the church into sensuality by using the, the church's own temptations to gain power and glory and people uh, and their lives uh, and their teaching ultimately lead to a blasphemy of the way of truth, of the gospel itself. The gospel is denigrated. People talk bad about Christ because of what these false teachers are doing. Uh, they are driven by greed, and they they have no. They are not. They're not submitting to God's word. They are twisting God's word like plastic. Remember the Greek word there was plastics, where we get the word plastic. That they are reshaping God's word, molding it. Rather than being molded by God's word, they're molding God's word to say what they want it to say. It's not that they're not using scripture. It's that they're reinterpreting scripture. They're taking the interpretation of scripture, which remember we saw in chapter one that it's not just a scripture, but the interpretation that is clearly given by God. Scripture is not a mystery. It's not hazy. It's not up for interpretation. It's very clear. Uh, our job is just to be obedient to that. These men were not being obedient. They were teaching what they wanted to teach, twisting God's word to say what they wanted to say, often to keep people following them and the power that came with that. And if they had to bring disunity and, and like, okay, I'll get you to follow me by making you think don't like those people, or if I can get you to follow me by thinking it's okay to do this, whatever they had to do, uh, they were doing uh, that. But 
If you remember, so that was the start of chapter 2. We then got all the way down to verse 10. Uh, and, and we saw in the promises, uh, promises down there, in, in verse 9, really, is where the promises started. We saw that God said they do not need to fear these false teachers. Why? Because God knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and he knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So these false teachers, although they are destroying the church and, and causing all sorts of headache and trouble, they have a promise from God that not only will God rescue them, but God will hold these false teachers, these unrepentant false teachers, until uh, the day of judgment. Uh, and if that's what he just promised, if that's the assurance, then what he's about to get into at the bottom of verse 10 is pretty interesting for the false teachers. Because if God promises that he will keep the wicked under judgment until the last day, you would have to be a fool to stay a false teacher after reading that. If, you, if you're there with the Petrine churches and you hear verse 9 being read, and you are anything other than an absolute fool, you would repent in sackcloth and ashes, saying, I don't want to be in that sure judgment of the Lord. The warning that God knows how to keep you from escaping should bring you to repentance. That there's no way you're going to escape. But notice, that's not what's going to happen. The false teachers are not going to do that. Why? Two things that we'll look at today that he lays out in the rest of chapter 2. Two things about the false teachers. One, false teachers are stupid. And two, the false teachers are slaves. They're dumb, but it's not just a matter of stupidity and dumbness. They're also slaves to their sin. They're imprisoned in their sin. That's why they're making these foolish uh, decisions uh, so think of what, what is going on. These false teachers are carrying themselves with all this sort of intellectual air. Hey, I know the scriptures. I've got this new idea. No, they're interpreting it wrong. I know how to interpret it. This sense of like supposed wisdom. And, and then they're coming to the people and proclaiming, oh, no, no, you're actually free to do these things, using their sensuality to attract them. Uh, all free because of their reinterpretation of Scripture. Listen to my teaching. Listen to what I've got to say. But they are actually fools who are trapped themselves. That's the weird irony of what's going on. These false teachers are claiming to be wise, but they're fools. And they say they're bringing freedom, but they're actually slaves. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 10, the second half of verse 10. We'll read all the way down to the end of the chapter. Give you a chance to make sure there. Verse 10, second half of verse 10, it starts bold and willful. Bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. 
They proclaim them freedom, or they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For it, after they've escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray. Father, let the word mold us today. Let us humble ourselves before your word. See both its warnings and its promises. May we cling to Christ, who is our only hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's take a look at what's going on here. Look at back at verse 10. So the beginning of verse 10 laid out sort of the, the wicked situation of these false teachers. And it mentions at the start of verse 10 two traits that they specifically we will be held in judgment for. That they indulge in the defiling passions and they despise authority. Well, Peter is about to flip those, flip those two things and show the people why these false teachers are not someone you need to follow. So it starts out, they, they, they uh, indulge in the lust of the flesh, they despise authority. Now we're going to flip it uh, and see that you would be foolish to follow these men. You would be absolutely foolish. It's like Solomon warns his son in Proverbs chapter 1. And I think this warning is good for remembering when we, we see these false, false teachers. My son, this is Proverbs chapter 1 verse 15 to 18. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Those who do evil in the end, like these false teachers, are going to bring on their own destruction. And if you follow those who do evil, they will drag you into the pit with them. So remember that when we start to see how evil these false teachers actually are. And so Peter begins by pointing out the folly of these false you know, teachers, the folly of what's going on here. He, he, and he points out the ridiculous situation that these false teachers get themselves into. Look at the end, the end of verse 10, when it says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So at the beginning of verse 10, he said, these people don't despise authority, and we see that here. They so despise authority that they blaspheme the glorious ones, literally the glories. They blaspheme the glories. I don't know who the glories are. I think it was a quartet that was going around. It sounds like a gospel quartet, doesn't it? The glories. They've been blaspheming the glories. Now, there's a couple of options, really, to either it is earthly, you know, magistrates. Um, that's what Calvin thought it was. Uh, that's how the word is used in Psalm 149, verse 8. So it could be they're called, these nobles are called the glories. Anyway, that these false teachers are subverting God's ordained uh, sort of government. Uh, and so, like I said, Calvin thought that's what was going on. The other option is that it could be uh, fallen angels, that they're blaspheming these, these glorious ones that have, that have fallen. If you're asking me based on verse 11 and on Jude verse 8, that's where I kind of lean. I normally, you know, uh, would tend to side with John on this one, but I'm not. Uh, I think we, we probably got it. But really, as is the case with most of these issues, whatever it is, these false teachers have, the problem isn't who the glories are. The problem is that these false teachers are have no problem casting aspersions on them, while angels, who are more powerful, both than the glories and then these false teachers, angels do not pronounce judgment on them. But instead, leave it to the Lord. 
These false teachers, though, they show no such restraint. They got no problems. You know, they're like the Oprah of judgment. You get a judgment, and you get a judgment, and, you, you know, you get judgment. They've got no problem with it. They, are, they have no restraint. They are casting judgments on everybody, and they have no idea, Peter says, that what they should actually be doing, instead of casting judgments on the others, is they should actually be trembling themselves. They should be the one trembling. They're, so we already begin to see the first problem of the false teachers, which is their stupidity. We see their stupidity in that they are being bold and willful when they should be trembling. They should be trembling. They're talking about judgment, but they're living as if it doesn't exist. They're the ones that should be afraid of judgment. And they're not. They're being bold. Uh, like, like he's going to say, like a stupid animal. And that, that's what he gets into in verse 12. Because what's funny, you're going to see, like we ask about what is it? What is the glory? It's actually not going to matter. And verse, verse 12 is going to show us why. Verse 12 shows us why. Because these false teachers don't really know what's going on anyway. So they didn't know really what the situation was. So we don't have to figure out what it is because these false teachers were ignorant of it too. It's not that they knew what they were doing and were doing it. You know, you shouldn't blaspheme that particular group. It's that they're just ignorant altogether. Look at, look at verse 12. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their own wrongdoing. Rather than the wise men, so look at what, the, rather than the wise men they claim to be, they're not wise men, they are irrational animals. They're not wise, they're irrational, and they're not even irrational men. They're irrational animals, stupidly driven by instinct. And, and like wild animals, it is as if their only purpose in life is to be caught and destroyed. They have no idea what's going on. These teachers have no idea what's going on. They're totally ignorant of all the things that they so pompously talk about, all the things that they are so sure about as they proclaim these judgments, all the glories and whatnot. And he says, you have no idea that you will be destroyed. Sin likes to give the appearance of, you know, cultured wisdom. But the truth is, sin is always absolutely and irrationally foolish. And here's why the false teachers should be trembling. Because the judgment they are casting upon others is actually going to come back on them. We see this, Psalm chapter 7 talks about a situation like this. Psalm chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. Psalm 7, 14 through 16. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head. And on his own skull, his violence descends. That's what's going on with these false teachers. They know what they're doing. Remember, we saw that from the beginning. They are, they are, it's not that they don't know that they're misusing God's word. It's that they refuse. They are denying their master. And in doing this evil, they are digging a pit for themselves, and they will fall into it. And the mischief that they're doing is going to return and crush their own skull. What we really have here is, in Peter, the outworking of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and his warning in, in Matthew chapter 7, that most misused of passages there, beginning in verse 1. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, and listen to how it compares with what's going on with the false teachers. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck? that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's, the problem isn't judgment. The problem is that these isn't talking about the fact that God judges the sinner and that you need to repent. 
that's not the problem here. The problem is these men are talking about judgment while living lives filled with sin. These log-infused hypocrites, right? These log-infused hypocrites have no problem telling everyone else all the judgment that they deserve, never realizing that at the same time, the judgment that they're talking about is actually going to come back on their own heads because that judgment is real. They're the ones actually pretending like it's not. That's the stupidity of sin. And these teachers are going to reap what they have sown. They have no problem speaking judgment on others when in reality, Peter says they should be the ones. They should be the ones afraid to step into a realm that belongs to God alone. Often we think of sin as, as flouting judgment, as not talking about it. But sin, sin has no problem talking about judgment as long as it's not its own judgment. Sin has no problem saying that other people are wrong and that they deserve this and that. The problem, like Jesus points out in Matthew 7, is that the hypocrite doesn't put that same judgment on himself, doesn't cast that same discerning eye on itself. It's amazing how discerning people are out there, but not discerning with their own hearts. That's the problem with these false teachers. They are blasphemy these glorious glory glories, these glorious ones, and they they shouldn't even be shouldn't even be doing that. And they're even ignorant of, of what they are doing all together. They are the ones that, as Jesus said, you can see their hypocrisy in that. Because though they speak about judgment, they're actually the ones doing things that should be judged. And look, their lives prove that. Look back to, to verse 13 in, in 2 Peter 2. Verse 13, uh, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. These people don't believe what they teach. They're reveling in their deceptions and doing so not at night like reasonable pagans do, right? Like 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 decent like decent pagans. They're doing it in the daytime. They are fearless, they are brash, they are proud, they are dumb. How stupid are they? He's going to show us in verse 15. They are dumber than donkeys. Look at 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way, not of the Lord, but of what? Of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Remember he talked about that's what the false teachers loved. They were, they were trained in greed. They did these things to, to feed off the people but was rebuked for his own transgression. His own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Instead of following God, these false teachers are forsaking the right way. They've gone astray. They're following the way of Balaam, who also loved sin and also was a fool and also loved the money that came with these things and didn't mind speaking judgment on anybody if someone paid him enough. And he was corrected by a donkey. Lower in wisdom than a donkey. And that's what these false teachers... So you know the story of Balaam. Balaam, uh, Moab wanted to pay Balaam to curse God's people. They said, we'll give you money to curse them. God comes to Balaam and says, don't do that. You don't want to do that. That would be a bad idea because I've blessed them. So at first, Balaam refuses. He comes to the king of Moab and says, I, I can't do that. Uh, the, the king of Moab offers him more money. Maybe if I give you more money, you'll do it. And Balaam at first says, you couldn't give me a house of silver or gold for me to do it. And God does give Balaam permission to go. But he says, you're going to go, but you're going to say what I want you to say. You're going to do what I want you to do. And almost like this tricking of the king of Moab. So Balaam goes. But apparently he's not planning on doing what God says. Because God puts the angel of the Lord in his way to stop him from doing this and to destroy him. Balaam doesn't even recognize. Balaam is just riding his donkey, right? I'm going to make some money, right? Doing whatever he wants. Doesn't recognize that the angel of the Lord right in front of him, like, ha, 
how freaked out would you be right in front of him? He doesn't realize it, but who does? His donkey. His donkey knows it and goes out of the way. Balaam gets mad, beats the donkey, gets back on track. The, the, the angel of the Lord gets in his way again. The donkey smashes Balaam's foot. Balaam gets mad again, beats the donkey. And finally, what does the Lord finally do? Finally, the Lord opens the donkey's mouth. And, and it's the donkey that tells Balaam what's going on. And then God reveals to Balaam that the donkey was right and you were wrong. The, God reveals to Balaam the, the angel, and the angel says to Balaam, Hey, that donkey just saved your life. Well, these false teachers are like Balaam. They are foolishly speaking what God has told them not to speak. They, they, there is a, like with Balaam, there is a madness to what they are doing. The, the donkey restrained the prophet's madness, Peter says. And that these people are mad to do this, to speak what the Lord has not said, to get up and tell God's people something that is not what he has said in order to trick them as Balaam was going to go and curse God's people when they've been blessed. To do that is a dangerous thing. It is to invoke the wrath of the Lord. And these... These false teachers, like Balaam, are dumber than speechless donkeys. These are not wise men. These are fools. So these false teachers that despise authority in their pride, they're the ones who don't realize how dumb they are. But they don't just despise authority, if you remember back into verse 9 and 10. It's not just that they despise authority. The first one it mentioned is that they indulge in what? Indulge in, in the lust of defiling passion. And that's the one he's going to pick up next. So look into verse 17. Peter begins to talk not just about their pride, but about their lust. And the irony of their lust, you're going to see, is that though they preach freedom, we're going to set you free to do these things, their lust is actually slavery. They're not giving freedom like they proclaim. They're bringing slavery. The world likes to talk about sin as if it creates some freedom for you. When God has been clear from the very beginning, sin brings only slavery, only destruction. These false teachers, they think that they're free. They're trying to convince the people, hey, do this and you'll be free. Calling on others to join them in their supposed freedom. But the truth is, what they're doing is they're calling men to join them in slavery and death. Look at verse 17. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So these, these false teachers, they're, they're nothing. They're not helpful. They are dry mists. Dry, they're dry springs. They're mists that just blow through on a storm, nourishing nobody. They provide nothing. They are things that should nourish but don't. It is, it is like they're, they're the, the Jeremiad version of the broken sisters, cisterns that hold no water. That's what they are. They're worthless. But they speak loudly. So they're worthless things that like to talk loudly. They speak loudly and they entice people through sin. Specifically, he says it looks like they're preying on recent converts. Those who have barely, or the word could be translated, just escaped from this world of folly. They've just escaped from those who live in error. And so these people are enticing the sensual passions of those who are basically what you would call baby Christians. They're enticing them to go back into a life of foolishness, a life of error, one that they seemingly just got out of. And what do they entice them with? They entice them with freedom. Look at verse 19. They promise them freedom. But, but what is the problem? But they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. These false teachers are encouraging people, hey, throw off the shackles of God's word, the restraints of the law, and be free. But they have no freedom. They're the ones enslaved. And you can see how foolish that would be if someone was in chain and was saying, join me, brothers. 
in freedom. You know, ching, 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 ching. Join me in my glorious freedom. And we're like, that dude's chained up. Does he know that? Well, most rational people would. That's why they have to entice those who are just barely escaping from those who live in error. And these, these foolish false teachers claim freedom, but they're enslaved. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says, whoever practices sin is a slave to what? To sin. Which shows just how little these people understand God's word. For these false, these, it's, it's very similar to what, what Jesus says in John 3 when he says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? To Nicodemus, like, do you call yourself a, a teacher? You're trying to teach God's people and you don't understand this most basic idea that obedience to God's word is not slavery. Obedience to God's word is life. That is the freedom. That is not the chain. That is to be unbound. Are you so foolish as to think that obedience is slavery when from the beginning God has been clear that obedience is nothing but blessing from Deuteronomy to Proverbs. Obedience brings blessing. Like Jesus, like Jesus, like, like Paul says in Romans 6, Romans 6, 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, obedience. Slavery to God makes our lives better. It is a slavery that sets free. It is a binding that brings joy. I mean, Proverbs 10, 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Deuteronomy, Proverbs says, Obedience to the Lord brings blessing, and that blessing is, you're never going to be sorrowful in it. It only makes you rich. That's why John says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. To God's people, God's commandments are not a burden. They're a blessing. They're not a duty. They're a delight. They're real freedom. We lived in slavery. We know what that was like. We remember that. And in obedience, no, no one who obeys the Lord goes back later and says, golly guys, I'll be honest. That was the worst thing I ever did. No one. Everyone who obeys the Lord, who lays their lives down in obedience to God and his word, everyone says that that was for my good and for God's glory. There is no sorrow ever attached to obeying the Lord. Obedience is not binding. Obedience is, is freeing. That's what Jesus says in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But how does he give them rest? Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A yoke that brings rest? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ doesn't say to them, hey, come to me, I've got no yoke. And so what he says. But he says, come to me and I'll give you a yoke, a yoke unlike any you've ever had. It is a yoke that will bring you rest. It is this world and its passions that hold us enslaved. It is this world and sin that bring true burden to our bones and to our soul. Christ offers us a yoke that brings rest. These false teachers, they don't want to make people's lives better. When they say, hey, join us in this freedom, they don't actually care. They actually make people's lives worse. Look at verse 20. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. So, so well, who are the these and who are the they in this? Is, is it talking about false teachers? Is it talking about the recent converts? It's actually not that clear. Could be either way in the Greek. So no one can actually, I don't think can actually know which way it's supposed to be. And I'm not sure that it matters all that much. Whether it's the false teachers or the recent converts, the point is the same. Those who show outward signs of faith, you know, those who have escaped the defilements of this world and those who have, you know, uh, come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who say they've done this, they show all the outward signs of faith, but then go back to the world. 
are worse off than when they started. Peter says it would have been better for them to just have never known about Christ. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them <laughs> to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. It would have been better for them to never hear the word than to hear it and appear to follow it and then turn back. How can it be better? How can it be better that they never know? I mean, there are a couple of things. Either what he's saying is it's, it's hard to get an apostate back. Like they sort of tried the Jesus thing and it didn't work for them. Or he could be talking about the, the greater judgment that might be coming on those who have knowledge of the truth. Like, like Jesus says in Luke 10, when he says, tells Chorazan and Bethsaida that it's going to be worse for them uh, on the day of judgment than it is these other wicked cities because Chorazan and Bethsaida had, well, because of what they'd seen. So they were going to be held to a, a greater judgment. The, the point, though, is the same either way. These false teachers are saying that if you follow them, you're going you're gonna to go to a better life. And the truth is, Peter says, it will actually make your life much worse. Not worse than it is now. Worse than it's ever been. Not, you're not going to go from C back to B. You're going to go from C and you're, you're going to go, you're going to skip A. <laughs> you're going to go to whatever is negative of A. You're going you're gonna to be worse off than you've ever been. And he says in verse 22, what the what the, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is, Peter's quoting here Proverbs 26, 11. It is, I mean, quoting something that we've, we've got to recognize. A, a dog is going to be a dog. It might be sweet. You might be able to put an outfit on them, dress them up, for, for Halloween, you know, or whatever. And they might lick your face and they might make you little cute, you know, noises and motions and sit and, oh, they really love me and all this, chase a ball, do all sorts of tricks. But in the end, if that dog vomits, it's going to go and eat it. <laughs> like, you, we can pretend that they're people all you want. Pretend like they're your little, these are my, these are my babies. These are my, what do they call them? Huh? My fur babies. No, because your fur baby's going to eat its own vomit. Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> and the same thing with a pig. A pig, you can have a pig, and you, a pig can be all washed and clean and brushed up for the fair and look so sweet. You, you can start to think, hey, man, you know, maybe pigs aren't so bad. They get a bad rep. But the instant that pig is free, it is going to go to the nastiest poop-filled puddle and roll around in it and do it with a smile. Because it's a pig. <laughs> what we see is, is like what happens in the parable of the sower and the seed. <clears throat> Who you are will be found out. And so, like in, in Matthew 13, beginning of verses 18 through 23, he tells us there of the, the, the different soils. He says there's one soil that Satan comes and, and immediately takes it away and it shows no fruit. But he says there, there are two types of soil, though, that appear to have growth. That which is sown on the rocky ground that hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. But because it has no root in itself, it endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, it immediately falls away because it had no genuine root. He said, but there's another type as well, which might be more similar to what we see here. He says, the problem of those who, the seed that is sown in the thorns, the thorny soil. This is the one who hears the word of God, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And then he says, but what's sown on good soil, of course, what does it do? That's the one who hears the word of God and understands it. It bears and yields a uh, hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, always fold, like we talked about. The, what's happening here in, in, in Peter's case is these false teachers and those who follow him are by their actions, by their outward signs, showing that their conversion was not genuine, that as Jesus said, that their soil had never been changed. There was no root. The soil was still was not fruitful. All of a sudden, it was not sown on, use his words, good soil. 
And that's proven in their life. It's what we see in 1 John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He's saying here in this final verse that these dogs and these pigs are revealing their true nature. They're showing us who they really are. This, this isn't a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is a dog in teacher's clothing. This is the pig in the clothing of a disciple, of a church member. But they're showing by their love for sin and their enticement to that. They're showing who they really are when they willfully follow these false teachers who are twisting Scripture. Or these false teachers are showing who they are by coming and doing these things, twisting God's word, not, not you know, uh, denying their master. They're showing who they are. And when you shuck the word of God for the sins of the world, you show that you are just wearing righteousness like a coat. That they've never truly been saved. It's, it's all been pretend. And you can, uh, a dog can only pretend so long. A pig can only pretend so long. That's true for these false So what's happened is, in this last verse, he said, look, these dogs and these pigs, they, they reveal who they really are. These teachers are, are dogs. They're, they're, they're showing that they're, that they're pigs, these, these ungodly, unholy uh, animals, by how they're acting. So these false teachers... They claim wisdom, but they are stupid. They claim, they lift up their freedom, but they're actually the ones who are slaves. Okay? So, what do we do with this? What do we do with this passage? How can we apply it? Because, you know, like, you're like, Chris, I think this is only for you, buddy, because you... This is either you're going to be a false teacher or you're not going to be a false teacher, right? Like, uh, this is just for, for pastors, maybe. So what we see here, what we see going on, as we, for those of you who are just joining us, we're just getting into the application. We just finished that verse, so you haven't missed anything, per se. I said some really touching and moving things that people will probably crochet or remember for the rest of their lives, but I'm sure you'll be able to catch it some other time. Uh, the application. One, this is a warning. Uh, this is a warning um, to false teachers and, and, and really any teacher. Any teacher, lest they, anyone who is handling God's word, right? Can This isn't just about pastors. This is, and this is for every Sunday school teacher. This is for anybody who picks up the Bible and says, this is what the Bible says to anybody. When you are trying to teach people, this is what scripture says. You better make sure you are not guilty of what these false teachers are guilty of. Right? So don't just look at it and say, I'm not a teacher. This isn't for me. If you pick up God's word, you are, you are obliged to treat God's word not like the false teachers did. Not like they did. So what did they do that you've got to make sure you don't do? When you tell anybody, well, I think doesn't the Bible say? Or when you say, well, the Bible teaches us this. Or God says this. What do you have to make sure? You've got to make sure you don't do what the false teachers did. God's word is not a wax nose. You don't get to just make it say what you want it to say. You don't get to just say, well, that's my interpretation. No, you've got to give his interpretation or don't give an interpretation. If you're not sure, if you don't know, then say that. All you got to do is, you know how, how different that would be? The one thing that no one knows how to say on Facebook is, I don't know. Everybody on Facebook knows everything about everything. Be the person who is humble enough to sometimes say, you know what, I don't know the answer to your question yet, but I'm not going to say the Bible says something unless I know for sure that it does. So you make sure that you're not twisting God's word. So, so be careful a bit. What did the false teachers do? They, they drew uh, division based on uh, their opinion rather than scripture. So, so don't... Don't draw others to divide based on your opinion rather than God's word. God takes unity of his body seriously. In Proverbs, he says he hates those who sow discord among the brethren. You be someone. You be careful that you're not someone who is causing division based on what you want the Bible to say rather than what the Bible does say. 
Don't deny Christ as your master by doing what you want with your life and with what you say the Bible says. You know what God's word says. You've got to say it. That's got to be the guideline. That's got to be your master. You don't come to God's word and say, I want it to say this. You come to God's word and it, it tells you. Don't use sin or sinful desires as a mean to grow, uh, means to grow your ministry or your message. That's especially true for teachers. To grow your popularity. To grow people's opinions of you. Don't use sin in order to... You go, you know, if I say that, that this is okay... If I say that people can do this, people will really like me. They'll really like that I say that that's fine, or I say this is... Don't do that. That's what these false teachers did. They, to do that is to play with fire and you will be burnt. Pun. Don't do anything that would bring shame on the name of Christ. Know that if you do not heed these warnings then like the false, he, he tells the false teachers, if you do not heed these warnings, then your condemnation, that's what he says in verse 9, that your condemnation is just as sure as God's promises of salvation are for his people. Just as certain. We don't often think about that. We, we think about that Christ doesn't lose any sheep. Right? Christ never loses one of his sheep. But here he says, he doesn't misplace any goats either. That you're not going to escape the judgment that you so love talking about. And if you deny God and his word, you will not find out in the end, I got away with it. Just as Christ's people will not find out in the end, oh no, Christ has failed us. In the end, you won't find out, Christ has forgotten Heed these warnings. Heed these warnings. God is not idle, he says. Your destruction comes even now. So let that draw you, not to, to, to stupidity, let that draw you to repentance and faith. But this, this, is, a, this is a warning uh, to false teachers. It's also a warning about false teachers. It's a warning about false teachers and those who listen to them. So don't pursue teachers. Don't, so don't just be a teacher like this. Also, don't be someone who wants teachers like this. Don't pursue teachers that teach you just what you want them to say. Follow pastors that tell you what God's Word says. Realize that these false teachers, they may appear wise with their new ideas or look I've realized this and, and, and they might even try and intimidate you with their supposed wisdom but in their twist they might even use scripture to do it quoting verse after verse after verse but if they are twisting those verses they are the fool these false teachers have they denied God's word he says they twisted it they had plenty of scripture they just misinterpreted it they made it say what they wanted it to say instead of making it say what God said so false teachers be, beware of their they might try and use wisdom to make you feel like a fool but they're the fools false teachers will try and talk about freedom but that freedom only brings enslavement you've got to remember that there is a temptation to think that how you live doesn't matter that you can have Christ but not the cross that you can have a, a savior but not a lord but if Christ has truly set you free, Scripture says, then His commandments are not going to be a burden to you. They're going to be life. So don't listen to this enticement of, hey, you're free from God's law. Say, free from God's law? That's where I was. That's what Romans 6 says. We were free uh, to, to the things of God's law. We were enslaved to sin. But now, having been set free... From sin, we become slaves of God's law. Being slaves of God's law is what has what redeemed me. God's law is life to me. God has, God has set me three, free through Christ to now live a holy life. It's not a burden. It's my joy. These false teachers are not offering freedom. They are offering the worst kind of slavery. The kind that fools you 
into thinking that you're free. So, who are you listening to out there? Well, you're like, you know who I'm listening to right now. Right? It's pretty obvious right now, but what are maybe the real question is, what are you wanting from teachers? What are you wanting from people when they open God's word? What is your heart desiring? What do you want from your pastors? What do you want from teachers? Do you do you want them to just say what you want them to say? And I, I like this guy. Why? Because he says what I already believe. He's, he tells me that how I'm living and what I'm thinking is right. And he, in other words, I like him because he is, he's basically uh, praising what I already, what I already believe, what I already know. Or do you want them to just tell you that how you want to live is fine? Live however you want to live. I like that guy. Why? I don't know. Just when I hear him, I feel like my life is fine. I'm good. Or do you want them to be, to be truly wise? Not not to come up with their own stories or own tales, but, but to just faithfully give you God's word? Do you want them to give real freedom? The, the kind that the world will think is foolish, the kind that the lost will see as death, but that you'll find is the most alive you've ever been. I pray that that's the type of people we want. I pray that that's the type of teaching we desire. That we say, I don't want you to just, I don't want you to just say what I believe. I want you to tell me what God's word says so I can form what I believe according to that word. I don't want you to just tell me that my life is fine and great and everything's wonderful and I don't have to change. I want you to show me, is there anything in my life that I'm missing out on by not being obedient to God's word? Show me how I must change. Rebuke me if I need to. Reprove me. Correct me. Encourage me. Exhort me. Whatever you've got to do in God's word, do it. Because his word is not a burden to me. It is my life. So shepherd, lead me. Lead me to those still Well, my prayer is that we'll be uh, a church of faithful teachers and a congregation of faithful listeners. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope that you've seen that false teachers are stupid and they're, they're slaves. They're dumber than donkeys and they think that they're free. What joy to know that in Christ, all those things are true of us. We do have wisdom the wisdom of Christ. We do have freedom, the freedom from sin, the freedom to live in righteousness.